welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. All right, so my name is uh, Paul Galloway. Um, I work here at UNT. Brady mentioned that earlier. I'm actually an academic advisor in the College of Education, and my office is actually in Matthews Hall, which is right out that way behind that ambulance. I'm not sure what's going on out there. But, so you might see me from time to time riding my bike up and down this way or walking around here. Um, I've been a little bit involved with the BSM in the past. I've never been on staff. Uh, when I was a student here at UNT, I was unfortunately never able to get involved in the BSM, mostly because I was just really plugged into my church and that just kind of took that away from me, that opportunity. But I have had an opportunity to teach in the past here. Uh, it's been a number of years, but uh, I've taught a number of Bible studies, maybe three or four times, I think, back in the past. So I'm excited to be back here tonight. It's the first time that I've taught on a Thursday night to you guys, and so I'm really hopeful that it's helpful and it serves you guys. Um, Before I started working at UNT, I came to Denton in 2008 as a transfer student from Weatherford College. And during my time at Denton, I earned two degrees. I got one in history, and I got one in English creative writing. Basically, when I got done with history, I realized I didn't want to go teach history, and I thought, well, maybe I'll stick around and I'll be a creative writer. Um, I got both the degrees, but to this day, I still haven't written anything. I like to tell people that I'm a creative thinker more than a creative writer. So I'm kind of hopeful (laughs) that one day I'll sit down and put the intention and the effort and actually write some form of fiction or something like that would be a ton of fun. Um, When I think about my time at UNT, uh, I think about things that were enjoyable, things that I regret. I think the thing that I probably enjoyed the most was I worked at the rec center on the other side of campus. I worked there for four and a half years. Uh, I loved that. I loved being around all the people and my coworkers and building relationships there. That was super great. Um, When I think about the thing that I regret, I think the way I would categorize it is that my time here at UNT um, was very selfish. I was very self-focused during my entire time at UNT. Um, So it's important to note, when I came to UNT, though, I was a Christian. I was already a Christian. Uh, I found a church that I really enjoyed pretty quickly, and I would encourage any of you, if you've not found a local church, to to seek one out. There's some great information back there in the hallway on a number of local churches here in Denton. Um, So I found a church. I was already a Christian, and, and God was using that church to change my life. I mean, there were a lot of good things that were happening, but... For a number of years still, while I was a student at UNT, um, everything in my life was just driven about me. Everything was self-motivated. Everything was focused on me. And so I got to write the reflection question. We don't have to put it up there, but we put it up there earlier, and it was, you know, do you believe that you're a part or you can be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? So my time at UNT, solely uh, motivated by my pursuit of getting the exact future, the exact life that I had dreamed of, um, whatever would give me a more satisfying life. That was, that was my focus, and I tried to go after it. One way that I thought about it was I was really lustful for a better version of me, just a, a more acceptable version of me, because I had felt that weight of things I wanted to be and didn't feel like I was. I had felt that weight of the acceptance I wanted and didn't feel like I was getting. Um, that's why I chose history. That's why I chose English, creative writing. That's why I chose even the church that I chose. I mean, the preaching was great, the music was great, but um, I wasn't seeking the Lord in any of those decisions. I didn't even consider what God wanted for me. 
I just acted as if I knew what was best for me, and I just went after it during my time at UNT. Um, so this self-motivation, uh, this trying to satisfy my every desire, I think that it just led me to waste a lot of my time at UNT. And the Lord was still good to me. I still benefited a lot. Um, but knowing what I know now and having matured in my faith like I'm maturing now still to this day, I realize now that a lot of my time was wasted on myself, that I missed a lot of opportunities to have an impact on others. Um, and I had established a pattern where I cared more about who I am rather than who God is, which is, I think, an important thing to be thinking through about our own lives. And so, um, telling you about my time at UNT, and I'm leading with this beginning, because you guys are UNT students, and as UNT students, um, it's part of what I want to talk about with you tonight. So, uh, I hope that it serves you. Our reflection question earlier, you know, mentioned uh, twice now tonight, is, is focused on, on being a part of something bigger than yourself. Do you believe that you're a part, or can be a part, of something that's bigger than yourself? Um, or do you think that maybe your every decision in life is driven by satisfying only yourself, that you've just been kind of deceived into that. Lots of people do that. Lots of people on our campus will encourage you to do that. Um, so it's understandable. You know, and maybe your aim is to achieve something that's good. I'm going to go after this degree. I want to make friends. I'd love to meet someone and get married. Like, that's a pretty common thing in college. That's fine. Um, all those things are, are really, really good things. But is the achievement of those things just for you instead of for something bigger than you? Do you envision how you might pursue a degree in a way that makes much of God? Have you thought about how do I pursue friendships or dating in a way that makes much of God? Or is it just about you? So last week, uh, Brady got this series started, Ordinary Empowered Called. Okay? Uh, the idea is that we are ordinary people who, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you love and trust Jesus, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and you are called to the world around you, which is UNT students, the, a large part of the world around you is UNT's campus. Okay? Uh, fellow students, uh, faculty, staff like myself, I'd love it if you guys were Christ-like to me. That'd be great uh, when you see me. So, um, we're going to continue the series tonight, and we're going to read through the first 11 verses of Acts. So if you haven't, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. I think it's on page 530, if you're using the Bible that was in the chair. Um, we're going to read through uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you're not familiar with where the book is in the New Testament, it's in the New Testament. It's the fifth book. It's right after John. It's right before Romans. So you can go ahead and turn there now. And my hope is to give a clear understanding of why these verses are important and how they speak to your life and to the lives of those who love and trust Jesus Christ. So, actually, if you would, it's kind of a new practice. Can we stand while I read it? Awesome. Great. <clears throat> actually, it helps me know everyone found it, too. So, okay. Verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can have a seat. So, I'm kind of an all-or-nothing person. I don't have a great transition. We're just going to jump right into the text, right? So, the first thing we see here is that uh, Acts is written to a man named Theophilus. And if you have any familiarity with the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you might remember that the book of Luke was also written to a man named Theophilus. And so that's what it's talking about here in the first verse when, when he writes in the first book, he's talking about the book of Luke. Um, we're not going to turn there, but I'll say this. Luke chapter 1, it gives us a little more insight about Theophilus. Theophilus is a man who is somewhat familiar with Jesus. Um, and so Luke has decided to write to him in order to give him certainty or you could say confidence about what he understands about Jesus. He literally says that in chapter 1 of Luke. I want to give you certainty about what you know about Jesus. Okay, so he's giving him this testimony about who Jesus is. Um, first book, he talks about everything that Jesus did, and then now what we've come to is uh, the second book. He's going to tell Theophilus all about what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven and left earth. He wants to tell him the actions of the early church, hence why the book is called Acts. So here in these early verses, the book of Acts, uh, Luke reminds Theophilus that Jesus came back from the dead, that he proved himself alive in many ways, and that he spent 40 days with them. Um, During those 40 days, Jesus was teaching them all about the kingdom of God. And something that I thought was worth noting here, but we'll come back around to it later more so often, is that, you know, Jesus has come back, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, and they actually ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And he tells them, you know, you don't need to be concerned with that for right now. And, And that's interesting because it's like, well, then what is he teaching them, and why is he teaching them about it? I thought about BSM hosts lunch every Wednesday at 12, and usually that day before, volunteers go out, you know, Brady goes out, Becky goes out, I saw them yesterday, and they tell people the time and the location of the free lunch, but that's not what Jesus is telling them in these 40 days. When they ask him about it, he's like, don't worry about that. So it's interesting to think about that, so remember that when we pick up, uh, when we come back to that. So picking up in verse 4, Jesus gives them a command. And Luke is taking the time to quote Jesus here, to explain this command to Theophilus, because it's really, really important. And so he's giving them this command. Um, It's for the disciples to remain in Jerusalem and wait for what the Father has promised. And we see here in the text that what the Father has promised is that he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. He quotes Jesus, and Jesus says, you heard from me. And then he sort of elaborates on what it was they had heard from him previously. He says, John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is why he wants them to stay in Jerusalem. They're going to be given the Holy Spirit of God to dwell inside their hearts, to lead them along. Earlier in the New Testament, Jesus tells them, it's better for me to go, and I'm going to send the helper to come and help you. Um, 
So that's their empowerment. That's the part that we've been talking about, ordinary empowered called. So there's the empowerment, but first let's highlight the type of people that are being promised this, because I think it speaks first to the ordinary. Uh, If you know much about the people that Jesus discipled and ministered to, most were all of them ordinary. They were considered ordinary by the society around them, or they were considered so bad they were beneath the ordinary. They weren't given positions of power. They weren't trusted with that power. Um, But Jesus, he gave power to the meek and the lowly because he wants to empower those who are humble, people who humble themselves and they're willing to follow after him. And so the world loves to give uh, fame and power to those who appear to be mighty, but God looks at the heart of a woman or a man, um, and he chooses meek and humble people, people that are ordinary, just like us. And it's not a terrible thing. Oftentimes the world tells you, don't be ordinary. Well, maybe in certain contexts they're trying to encourage you to try hard, and that's fine. That's okay. Um, But there's a lot of ordinary things about the people that Jesus ministered to, the people that he loved, the people that he invites into his presence and calls to be a part of his kingdom, and he gives them power. And so, were there people who, in an earthly means, had power? Yeah, that that followed Jesus. There were, absolutely. I think that's worth noting. But you should also understand that these people who did have power amongst men and still wound up following Jesus, one of the things that you want to note about them is uh, they were people who realized that they were beneath Jesus. They were people who realized that, that Jesus was the king. And so we have ordinary people that Jesus has decided by the promise of the Father. That's who he's speaking to here, his disciples, ordinary people. By the promise of the Father that he will empower them with the Holy Spirit. Um, And I think about, you know, it's important to realize, is it just these people that he's going to empower? Well, no, because later in Acts, as you guys go through Acts later on, you're going to find out. uh, In chapter 2, Peter preaches to a crowd. And to the people, he tells them that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered, such as any disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we still say this even today. Christians say this to those who are still lost and dead in their sin. We tell them, if you are not a Christian, Jesus has conquered death and defeated sin so that anyone who calls him their Lord and becomes his disciple will receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as a proof and a comfort to themselves that their sin has been paid for. The Holy Spirit's empowerment, it makes us new. So is there proof of this empowerment? As you read through the scriptures, when you read further in Acts, you see the apostles and the disciples of Jesus facing persecution and death for the sake of the name of Jesus, which is a far difference from where you first see them when they're around Jesus and they're, they're arguing about different things and they're, they're fixated on themselves and eventually by the power of the Holy Spirit they are changed and we have that same promise for ourselves to be changed so quick recap for those who are in Christ we're ordinary meaning you don't have to have achieved something fantastic or wonderful first in order to follow Jesus that's an important thing to hold on to once we begin following Jesus we're empowered by the Holy Spirit because God the Father has promised this to us he's promised that this is what happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, Um, and we're called. And that's what I'm talking about now, but what are we called to? Earlier, I asked the question, why did Jesus spend his 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God? Well, here's why, if we look in verse 6. And so looking at verse 6, reading through verse 8, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, 
It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So quick backstory. Throughout their time with Jesus, the 12 apostles, which is primarily what people think about when they hear disciples, but that's not always who it's talking about. Disciples is anybody who followed after Jesus. And there's many mentions of his mother and other women that followed after him. Uh, and later in the text, there, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, there's many people that are gathered at that time. But the 12 apostles, um, they were consistently concerned about the kingdom of God being restored. But the evidence of their questions during Jesus' ministry, the evidence of their questions and Jesus' answers and their, the reactions that they have to Jesus' answers, it sort of reveals that they didn't exactly understand the kingdom of God as Jesus was trying to teach it, which is understandable. Um, they didn't realize that he was trying to give them something better. So at that time, the Old Testament, that was their Bible. And in the Old Testament, there was a period of time when Israel as an earthly nation was, for the most part, full of power uh, over the land and was completely capable of defending itself against enemies and basically it was unable to be defeated because of God's protective love. Um, however, the earthly kingdom was never fully pure. It was never fully holy. And eventually their sin and their, in their inability to be faithful to God because of their sin, their inability to be faithful, um, it led them to falling into destruction. And so now we see in verse 6, Jesus' disciples, they're wondering, are you just going to go back and do this again? Now that you're back alive, are we just going to get another go and you're going to sit on the throne like King David did? And so they ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom? And he says, you don't need to worry about that. That's not your concern. And then he gives them what they should be concerned about. Here's where the calling comes in. What they should be focusing on. He gives them their calling in verse 8. He tells them, you will be my witnesses. Okay? What are they going to witness about? So if you see a car wreck happen and a judge calls you into the court case and asks you what happened, what are you going to witness about? You're going to witness about the car wreck, right? You're going to tell them what you saw. Um, if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan and you got to watch Dirk Nowitzki's career like I did, then you're in a witness because you saw him play throughout his career. That was the joke. That was the t-shirt that they put out there, and I love it. Um, so Jesus calls his followers to be a witness for him, and it's important that we know who he is. He's the one that the Old Testament prophesied about, the Messiah of God's people. God's people are supposed to live for something bigger than themselves. Going all the way back even to Abraham, God's people were promised that they would be blessed so that they might be a blessing to others. If you go back and look at the promise that God gave to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that your nation might be a blessing to the other nations around them. But they needed a savior to save them from their sin in their hearts because they couldn't save themselves. And so God the Father is now remaking the world through Jesus, God the Son, by the power of God the Spirit, brought into reality by the good works of his church. Jesus has come as our savior. He's come as our king, um, teaching us about the coming kingdom. If you're in Christ, you have been called to the world around you. So um, we think about our calling, and UNT is the world that's around us. You've been called to the world that's around you. Um, and you've been called into the service of ushering this kingdom that um, even though today it's not fully here, we are ushering it in by being his servants to the world around us. So for the apostles, what was the world around them that we see here in the text? It was Jerusalem. 
is Jerusalem first, but he didn't want him to stop there. He says, all Judea and Samaria. But then he doesn't even want him to stop there. He wants him to go to the ends of the earth. And it's important to think about, I thought about this, when Jesus said this and when Luke wrote it, nobody knew that the exact place where we are right now actually existed. They didn't understand that there was North America. They didn't understand that there was a South America. They didn't understand that this place existed. And the gospel has found its way here to us in Denton, Texas, because the witnesses of Jesus Christ have gone to the ends of the earth. But what's more important than that is, you know, the physical geography of the earth, it's been reached. So do we stop? Well, no, we don't stop, because the people of the earth is a different story, isn't it, than the physical geography of the earth. So when we think about the people of the earth, um, that's how we should view the end of the earth now. Going to the end of the earth, we want to think about the people who are here. So, and you know, sometimes that prompts people maybe to ask the question, I've heard people ask this question before, should we go to people who are not likely to be saved by God? And I would just say, I would remind you and remind them that one, um, God knows the hearts of men and women, and he never puts that burden on any of us. And then second, isn't God worthy to be proclaimed? Isn't he worthy to be proclaimed over all of creation? It's all his. He all made it. All of life is his. All of it's meant to glorify him. And I see people struggling this time, like, I don't know that this person's going to become a Christian, so it feels like wasting my time. But you're not supposed to go make converts. You're supposed to make disciples. You're supposed to talk and tell them about Jesus, and that glorifies God. And that's our aim. And we grow closer with God as we make disciples, as we talk about Jesus to other people. And it's interesting to know, even one of Jesus' disciples, did he become a Christian, Judas? But he was still there for three years. Jesus discipled him. I think that's an important thing to think about when you think about the dynamic between converts and you think about the dynamic between disciples. So, um, Jesus calls us to go to the end of the earth. Everything in creation belongs to him. You think about joy, when you experience a great amount of joy, you tell people about it. You might think, oh, I won't tell these people because they won't care. But when you're really full of joy, oftentimes our response is, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm telling everybody, right? And Because when we are filled with joy, if we're filled with enough joy, it overflows and we just want to tell people that's how it works, that's how the human being is designed. And so... I think about that could create some confusion sometimes for students and, and for any Christian really is, um, you know, if you don't experience that joy with Jesus, with God, I think, you know, and I wonder, is it, become, is it because you've become distracted or you've stuffed yourself on things in the world like I was doing when I was a college student? If you can imagine some chef makes this most beautiful, amazing, priceless meal, you've got an hour until it's time to eat it, but you go buy like 10 frozen burritos and just stuff yourself with it. It's normal that you don't want that meal, no matter how amazing it is, because you've stuffed yourself with something else. And so I want to encourage you, if you would think about, if you're hearing me talk a little bit about joy and overflowing and being a witness to the world, and you're like, man, I just don't know that I feel that, I would encourage you, fill yourself on the Lord. Spend time with him. Read his word. Pray it back to him. Um, and, and, and ask him, just ask him to help you be a witness to the world around you. Ask him, you can ask him anytime to fill you up, to help you. And you want to avoid distractions because they will distract you away from him. So as a Christian, try to wrap this up, um, I believe that there is something bigger than myself. 
that Jesus calls us to live for. And I believe that it's the kingdom of God. We live for it by being Jesus' witnesses to the world. I want you to consider that tonight and consider what drives your decisions and answer the question, am I being filled up by something that's bigger than myself? If you want to pursue a history degree like I did, that's totally fine. It really is. Marketing, merchandising, whatever it is you want to pursue, that's totally fine. But I want you to do so with every intention. Or what I want to say to you is to do so with every intention to use your time and your accomplishments as a way to be a witness of Jesus and of the kingdom of God. How can you do that? Be creative. Have courage. Like you can be creative. You can ask God to give you more desire to love other people. That's absolutely okay. It says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? It's not our fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Just like the fruit of an apple tree or an apple is the fruit of an apple tree. I can't grow an apple off of my arm. But oftentimes we might think, I just need to be more loving. I just need to be more loving. And we'll never turn to God and pray. Like, would you fill me with your Spirit and give me more love? It's your fruit. It's not my fruit. Our campus is filled with people who don't know Jesus and the kingdom of God, just like Jerusalem didn't know. We're ordinary like any other person is, but we are empowered with God the Spirit guiding us and helping us, and we are called as followers of Jesus to go out and to be witnesses. Should you seek that calling out by yourself? I would say no, they didn't, but I think that you first should look into joining a church, and then second, uh, you want to get plugged into a community of fellow Christians where you can carry out that calling that we have. The BSM is a great place to plug into that community. You're here now, it's a great place to plug in. It's a collective unit of Christians who are called to this campus, um, witnessing to people about the gospel and the kingdom of God. The church as a whole, here's how to understand it. it. It's meant to be standing together like one body witnessing to the world, and from out of the church, certain groups form in order to seek after specific people like our campus. BSM here on UNT's campus is doing that. And as individuals, you can be corrupted like I was to seek yourself. But if you stand together, committed witnesses of Jesus, of the kingdom, then you can live your life as one living for something that's bigger than yourself. I want you to put your faith in that, to stand with the church, to seek to follow after Christ and to be like him and to tell others. Um, How long do we do this for? When does it stop? At the end of the earth, right? Well, new people are being born every day, so who's to say when we've reached the end? Well, that's kind of how we finish out this text here. Um, the answer here is here in the last verses. So, as the angels say to him, in verse 11, and, the men, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what the angels are communicating here is they're saying, don't stay here. Go. Carry out the calling that Jesus has given to you. They're explaining that Jesus will come again as he's promised he will come again. Go out. Don't worry about that. They're also explaining you're not going to miss it. So you're not going to miss it when he comes back. Go forward. Carry out the calling. Build your life around trying to witness to people about Jesus. Don't ever stop because it's not time to stop until he comes back and you'll know it when he does. So the last thing I'll say, you know, I've been talking about this kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this big thing we're supposed to live for. Um, I think it's fair if you're not really sure how to value the kingdom of God. Like, okay, we're supposed to live for it. Is it really valuable, though? How do we know it's valuable? I mean, what's it going to be like? What are we going to do when we're there? You know, what can we know about it? So a few things that I wanted to point out to you guys is the world right now that we see all over the place, it's everywhere. 
It's covered in carnage, destruction, rape, racism, death, sorrow, murder, hatred, theft, abuse, I mean, all these terrible, terrible things. But when Jesus traveled around during his ministry, he performed lots of miracles, and those miracles were not platforms to display his power so he could just gain followers. Oftentimes he'd perform a miracle and then he would just kind of disappear because he didn't, it wasn't time yet. He didn't want like tons of people just all around him, right? But his miracles were meant to communicate something about this kingdom of God that we're supposed to be living for. He turned water into wine, meaning there will only be good celebration in the kingdom of God. He healed people's diseases and deformities, meaning that everyone in the kingdom of God will be healthy. They will walk, they will hear, they will see. He fed thousands with only five loaves and two fish. In the kingdom of God, no one will ever be hungry. He healed the demon-possessed because in the kingdom of God, there will be no evil that's present amongst us like there is here on this earth. And he raised Lazarus from the dead because in the kingdom of God, no one will ever die, ever. That's what he's communicating to these people when he heals them, when he feeds them, when he raises Lazarus from the dead. The kingdom is what the human being is made to enjoy. And our God, who rules that kingdom, he's going to share it with us. And when he does it, it's where the human being is created to be. And he is who we're created to worship. So, let's pray. God, um, thank you for today. Um, Thank you for each of these students that are here, Lord. I pray that if only one thing could stick with them, Lord, um, that they would be the types of, of persons um, that would think about their choices and, and just ask the best ways to process the calling that we have upon our life, how to process, um, how to pursue you in all of our endeavors. It can get really confusing at times and we can be deceived. And so I just pray, God, against deception. I pray that they find community. James tells us, the book of James tells us to ask for wisdom. So I ask God that you would bless them by reminding them to ask you for wisdom. And I pray that you would reward their prayers. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.